0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, Handmade listeners. I'm Barry Day. I'm Ben Vanderveld. And we'd love you to listen to Worst Foot Forward, our podcast all about failure. Each week we are joined by a guest to discuss the world's worst something. From detective to invasion, train to horror movie, we dive into humankind's darkest depths in search of the absolute pits. We've even had your very own Dr. Anna Porschyski on the show twice. In the world's worst material she shared her innate hatred of graphene, and during our live show she let loose on sea salt, and is now persona non grata in the town of Malden. On Worst Foot Forward, we've learned that conspiracy theorists think rocks aren't really hard, why one French physicist invaded the Channel Island of Sark, and how exactly to make a wasp gun. While also uncovering the railway station of the dead, the doctor who put goat balls into human scrotums, and the West End musical funded by Bird Poo. Subscribe to Worst Foot Forward on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Check out our website, worstfootforwardpodcast.com, and join us for some fun filled zero worship. Is hair a material? Our biscuits a material. Our crystals a material.
1: Is plastic a material?
0: Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Our eggs are material. Is water a material?
1: What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh for your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. I'm your host, Anna Pajewski, and this episode I talk to paper engineer Rob Ives. I know that last episode I promised you stone, but I'm slipping this one on paper into the feed just before we get there. This conversation was recorded during the UK coronavirus lockdown, and I spoke to Rob over the internet from our respective homes. I started by asking Rob how he came to become a paper engineer, and also, what's a paper engineer?
0: This is how I started off. It used to be, I was a teacher till 2020. No, till 20, till 2000. Um, And since then, I've been, I was, I started off just doing paper engineering, and I made paper models uh, to sell online. Um, But then, Gradually, I've got more and more things as well. So I do like 3D printing and I do laser cutting and I do things made out of paper clips and wire Mm -hmm. and things like that. And basically I I design stuff, I put them on my website and I hope that people come along and buy the ideas, buy the designs and then take take them home and and make their own things.
1: Mm. How did you get into designing with paper?
0: I think because it's such an easy easily accessible material mm. so um it's something i could do without having a, a massive workshop and a load of tools i could make i can still make i can make gears i could make levers i could make uh, all sorts of interesting mechanisms but and all i needed was uh, a ruler, a pair of scissors and, and a sharp knife
1: mm.
0: and you can st- you can do those things without the having to have a lathe and a laser cutter and a the expensive stuff so it was like a, a an accessible way for me to start making things and I, i've done it for a long time i've been i've been making paper models i think for since well 1990 probably like something like that i think it was i think 93 was the first thing that i actually produced as a as a this is a kit and you can make stuff out of it Mm. Uh, and then I was sort of waiting for the internet to be invented after, <laughs> at that point, you
1: know. <laughs> yeah. So was there a certain model that you saw of someone else's that kind of ignited your interest in modelling with paper?
0: Yeah, I used to go... There was a shop in Harrogate that I used to go into from time to time, and they had paper kits by a guy called Peter Markey, whose stuff is still around. I think he's died. Um but his stuff is still around, and you still see it online. And he had things. There was things like a um, a, a cow that opened and closed its mouth, and there were very there were sort of cubic type things. So it was like a square cow with a square head mm. uh, and um, cocktail stick parts inside it, and, and bits of string and things. So you turn the handle on the side, and they did things. So there was a cow thing. There was maybe a a barking dog. That sort of thing and they were all these were just basically printed on you know it was like single colour on single sheets of cardboard and then they would be inside a bag and there'd be all the other bits that you needed so the paper clips and the bits of string and the cocktail sticks and things uh and i i made those when i was a student so that must have been that's like 30 years ago so so yeah, I've been doing this for a while,
1: mm. and those
0: were sort of those were ideas that just sort of simmered around in my head, and I sort of made made my own models and um, without any particular purpose behind them. Uh, and then um, I was making some models that I used to be a teacher, used to be a, a math specialist in primary school, and I was a member of the Association of Teachers of Mathematics, and I went to a conference an ATM. Association of Teachers and Mathematics Conference um, was in their workshop bit. They had this workshop they had like sessions where you could go and find out about different all sorts of different things. But the, the best part of it was the workshop where you could just go and have just like, piles of resources for you to play with. Uh, and you got to talk to people who were just like really interesting people and sit and make things, mm. um, geometrical shapes and um trees made out of straws and all sorts of stuff
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, and I made a a mechanical movement that was a a two axis joint that would bend in the x-axis and the y-axis for obscure reasons Uh, and someone from there was a publisher there as part of the as part of the conference there was a publisher section as well and there was a one of the publishers there was Tarquin Publications. Uh, there was a guy from Tarquin saw this model that I'd made, asked if he could take it away. He took it away, and, and like a couple of months later, someone from Tarquin contacted me and said, "Can you write us a book?" Oh wow! And that's yeah. Quite, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, uh, and there were. It was really. Have you got any ideas for a book? Was the sort of mm. starting point. Uh, Um, I suggested a book of working, cut out and make working locks.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: Uh, And so I made this book called The Paper Locksmith. And it had in it a combination lock, um, a Yale-type lock, a warded lock, and possibly something else, but I can't remember.
1: Wow, and all of that
0: but made out of paper? But it was all cut out, mate. Yeah, they're all working locks. And you can still, because Tarquin went defunct eventually and the copyright returned to me. So you can actually get those, that book you can get off the off my website. as a downloadable. Oh, cool. So all of those models are available now. Um, but anyway, so they that sold pretty well for them and they were really pleased with it. So like a year later on, they, they contacted me again and said, uh, would you like to write another book? And I said, I certainly would. And I did, uh, I thought, sort of going back to the Peter Markey thing with the autometer and the the barking dogs and Mm. the, uh, I can't remember what the cow did. I'm sure he had a cow anyway. um, I went, uh, sort of going back to that idea, I I suggested a book of autometer and they said, yeah, that's great, let's do that. And I went to – I designed six different automata for them, and they said, right, we're going to use four of them. Um, so the remaining two, I thought, right, right, I'm going to try selling these myself. Uh, and Paper Automata, they read that, that book, Paper Automata, is still in print. You can still get that on Amazon. Um, they – Tarquin got bought – Tarquin's copyrights got bought out by another company, so that book's still available. Um, but the two extra models that I did, I, I did them in this sort of Peter Markey style where it was just a, a couple of sheets of cardboard um, and mm. printed, printed in just a single colour and a sheet of instructions and all in a plastic bag. Mm. And I sort of went on from there. And, yeah, I did a whole lot. I sort of got more and more complicated with the printing to the point where it was like, I was getting, I was printing like twenty, thirty thousand pounds pounds worth of stuff at a time and it was just terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you uh, would want an office fire, would you? <laughs> no, indeed. I, I spent too much time just packing stuff up and shipping yeah. it out. I d- didn't want to employ someone. I'm not really interested in that part of it. I'm a design person, really. I'm an ideas yeah. person. Um and it just got more and more complicated. And then in the end, I just thought, right, we're just going to do downloads. And I ended up selling all that off to somebody else and and moving on to downloads. And that's what I do now.
1: Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense in the modern age.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, quite.
1: So it's really surprising to me as a paper layperson to hear that you could make something as structurally sound and as mechanically possible as... A combination lock so kind of how how do you manage to get all these amazing materials properties out of paper you know strength and how do you get that out of paper
0: it's really surprising isn't it yeah you can you have a piece of really flexible paper and if you put a crease in it all of a sudden it becomes far more rigid um and then if you just fold the crease over a couple of times and make it into a tube suddenly you've got like a a structurally strong shape, so it doesn't get wet. Mm. Uh, and then it, and then it's just a case of, I, I try and do it. What I try and do is is make the model to the material rather than. So I'm making a model out of paper that uses the structure of paper rather than trying to. You'll see there are various other people, various other automata makers who make, paper automata but they are, at heart, automata makers who make things out of brass and wood and things like that. Right. And what you see, if you look at their stuff, is that they will try to make pieces of wood
1: Mm.
0: out of the cardboard. Yeah. So they'll fold it up into rectangles and put ends on it uh, so that it looks like a piece of wood, Mm -hmm. and then they'll glue those together and I try more i try to do and you can understand why because that's the you know, that's the material that they' you they're used to using mm. but I'm trying to do more um right let's look at what paper does by itself and try and make things that use the use the qualities of paper rather than trying to imitate something else
1: yeah, that makes sense.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: So you mentioned creasing there as one of the tools that you can employ to Mm. modify the materials properties of paper. Are there any other techniques that you tend to use frequently in your designs?
0: There's there's a whole sort of awareness of... Uh, using tension rather than compression. So so if I'm using cams and things like that, I try and make sure that... I, I, I try not to use... Like Peter Markey had all the bits of bits of um, cocktail stick and string and things like mm. that. And I try not to use anything like that, but I do allow myself to use coins as weight because there is no weight in paper, really, and it's really difficult to make something with any weight to it. right. Um, but then if i'm making like a cam follower or something like that so i have a, a, a cam on a camshaft that you can that you turn around with a handle um and then you need to use that camshaft to make something move up and down and rather than pushing something mm-hmm. i allow i try and make a design so that the, so that the, as the cam moves up and down it's pulling on the paper and then you don't need to worry about anything being structural you're just using because paper's quite strong in, in tension. Right. But if, you know, if it's a piece of flat paper and it's in compression, it just immediately bows up into a, into mm. a loop.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's really easy to rip a piece of paper with a certain technique. And I guess that's mm. that's in tension as well. But you must have to be, I guess you have to be quite careful about sort of um, the angles and the direction yeah. of the tension.
0: Yeah. So you put the tension straight on. If you put the tension at an angle, you end up ripping the pieces.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, and yeah, just sort of wrapping things around so you can wrap. So uh, I'm um, trying to explain it. Sort of wrap like in wrapping a strap round a tube, and mm-hmm. then when you pull the strap, the tube itself unwinds. Oh and yeah. And if you do that, if you do that straight. It works really well, and you can have two. You can have like uh, two different straps. you can have one going clockwise, one going anti-clockwise. And if you pull one, the tube rolls one way, and if you pull the other, the tube rolls the other way. Oh. As long as you, as long as everything's straight. As soon as you pull it off to an angle, mm. then everything, then the paper rips, or or it comes and tangle or it, or the parts tangle up with each other. Yeah. So yeah. So there's a sort of you've got to be there's an awareness that you have to have about which direction because it's a it's a a limited material in that sense, but it also the limitations make it interesting.
1: Mm, It's no wonder you called yourself a paper engineer, given that you have to think so much about forces and direction and stuff. Uh, Yeah,
0: that's weird, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, it's surprising how much maths is involved as well. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Just in just in sort of designing three D shapes and things.
1: Yeah. So. Can you take me through the process then of from when you have your first inkling of an idea, how do you go about translating that from an idea into a finished paper design?
0: Um. So my, I carry a notebook around with me. Um, Cause I have ideas at the strangest moment. <laughs> Cause a, a lot of my ideas are just sort of intersections of two different things. So um uh, I can't think of an example of handwork. So, so the other day, so I was out walking the other day and I found an, old, uh, an empty snail shell,
1: uh-huh.
0: and I had this idea of making a model that uses the actual snail shell rather than trying to recreate. Because I've, I've a couple of times I've tried to make shells and things, and they're difficult spirals and difficult to make. And I just suddenly thought, well, I could just use the snail shell
1: mm.
0: and then make model uses the snail shell and it and so I, I sketched some ideas down in my notebook and then forgot about it for a bit and then a few days no, a few days a few weeks later I'm looking through my notebook see what I've got in it um so at the, so at that point then it's like okay so I, I need to firm it up into more of an idea of what am I going to do what materials am I going to use what's it going to look like and that one was more of a, a sort of paperclip and I think it's paperclip paper. So the body of the snail is made out of paper. This is actually on my website. The finished product is on my website now. Um, so the body's made out of paper. So there's a, a, a degree of like, that's my my base paper engineering skills, making the shape of a snail's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll sort of sketch out what I'm going to do. And then I do a lot of the, design part of it in um, just sort of iterative I'll just make stuff and see if it works right. and cut it up if it doesn't work and if it's not quite the right size I'll just cut bits off it
1: uh-huh.
0: um, and it's a lot of cutting apart and gluing back together again to try and make something look right and eventually you get to a point where you think All right, that's about right and then at that point I then cut everything up and lay it out flat put it in the scanner on the computer on the printer Right. And then transfer it to the computer and at that point it becomes a lot more uh, structured and, right, this is the end product. But up till that point it's very fluid and there's a lot of changes and uh, the the late-stage design models look kind of rough because they're just lots of bits of paper stuck on top of each other and... Mm it's cut off and different colour pieces stuck to the back. And, <laughs> yeah.
1: and then I guess you have to reverse engineer your own design in order to then make it two-dimensional again for yeah. other people to be so able it, to recreate
0: yeah, it. Yeah, so this is when it's sort of, so you cut it, I, I cut it, I'll maybe, if it's a 3 especially if it's a complicated 3D shape, so I'll draw a line to it where I think that's going to be a crease line. This is where there's going to be a seam. I'll draw that on and then I'll I'll cut it all out with me, really fine scissors, and lay all the pieces out on the scanner, and then scan it in, and then and then print, and then do like trace around the the scan, and then print those parts out, and hope that it all fastens back together again. Because this is a sort of terrifying moment where you've made something that you're really pleased with,
1: yeah. and you've,
0: you've got you've got to cut it into little tiny pieces. Oh so. no,
1: yeah. <laughs> that does sound a bit precarious. Yeah. So I suppose one, one question is why paper.
0: Um, yeah, at this point, it's because that's what I understand. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, as a material, I really like it as a material. It is just so it's it's just surprising. Still, it still surprises me. You can you can start off with a flat piece of paper and you put the creases in and you do the stuff, and all of a sudden you've got a rigid 3D shape um, that's nothing like what you started with, uh, and it's surprisingly tactile and and nice, you know, and, mm. and, and pleasing to the eye. so um, And also it, it has that whole thing where I can, I can design something, I can put it up on the website, and someone in Singapore or America or... Yeah. wherever can just download it and they can download it the same day that I've posted it and, and make stuff.
1: Yeah, that's cool. It's very yeah. Sort of translatable.
0: Yeah. And that that whole sort of zero weight model works quite nicely for me. It's it's been really good during lockdown. That's been a good thing that's worked really well for me during lockdown because people have been wanting stuff to do with their kids in lockdown. So
1: Yeah. Um, I guess it's very cheap as well, so it's very accessible for lots of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you said zero weight, I was expecting you to say zero waste. <laughs> um, no, I know. No. And <laughs> a nod to the recyclable nature of paper as well.
0: Yeah, it's certainly recyclable, isn't it? But, I mean, yeah, I, I get through huge amounts.
1: <laughs> in, yeah, in
0: the sort of pro- in the prototyping, especially when it's like the printed parts. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I'll print a part out and it's got uh, this is one part. And I cut that out, and then you can't use the rest of it. You can't put a piece of paper back in the printer, so it's just this or one corner, it's gone.
1: Right, you're the offcuts. Yeah. Do you use any so, particular special type of paper?
0: I, no, I use um, 230 micron card, basically.
1: What's that to the layperson? Uh, like um, uh cereal box? Gram. Or thinner than that?
0: Thinner, thinner than that. Okay. Yeah, it's like photocopy card. So mm-hmm. if you're in an office, it's the sort of thing that you could put in your photocopier at an office. It's just a thin card, basically thin craft card.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. And I get I use coloured card for prototyping generally because mm. it's it makes things look more attractive if they're colourful. Uh, and then the final products are generally printed in colour on white card. So the stuff that I send out to people that I upload for people to, to make.
1: Yeah.
0: As they are colour files and they print them out on their printer. And sometimes it's like print it out, flip the card over, print out the back. Oh, interesting. So you've got colour. Yeah, you've got colour on both sides of it, which is also it's possible. But that kind of causes people difficulties with alignment front and back. And yeah,
1: I'd probably flip it, it the wrong way and print it upside yeah, down on yeah.
0: the inside or something. Yeah, I, just, I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also there's difficulties with most of the people that I, most of my customers are from the States. Oh, so they use um, letter size card. And oh. uh, the people in Europe use a four size card and then the sort of con- conversion between the two and being able to flip stuff back. Flip it over and print on the back,
1: mm. whilst
0: using different sides of card. It has been problematic in the past. It seems I thought I've not heard it from anyone recently. I mean, I've I've sort of done some models on letter size and some models on A4 size recently. Yeah. And I haven't had anyone getting back to me saying I can't get it to print back. I can't get the back to print out lined up. So either people are just buying them and not doing them, or. <laughs>
1: Hopefully
0: or that not. worked it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully not. Oh, I, get, I get nice pictures of stuff that people have made. Man.
1: Oh, that's cool. That must be nice. That's kind of gratifying.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: Um, so are there any we've spoken about a few limitations of paper. You mentioned it's that it's very lightweight, so that can be tricky if you're wanting to incorporate weight into a design. Are there yeah. any other major limitations of paper?
0: I think just sort of precision precision is really difficult you can do maybe half a mil something like that but if you start doing if you've got things like trying to do gears and things like that I can do gear, I can gear down I've sort of worked out how to do gears where instead of the gears being edge to edge like a normal gearbox they're at 90 degrees to each other so they sort of mesh with each other sideways mm. and that sort that works pretty well You can't gear up, you can only gear down. There's just not enough strength in the paper to gear up.
1: Okay, the forces just get too much in it.
0: Yeah, basically. And you don't get, and there's, you can't do like a really sweet bearing out Mm. of cardboard. (laughs) So, you know, there's the friction builds up and things get too stiff and.
1: Right,
0: interesting. So yeah, so that's just a case. But then that's just a case of okay, well, I can't do that. So that's fine. I'll just do stuff that involves gearing down.
1: Mm. And the
0: geared geared models are, are interesting. They're fun to do. They just it adds an extra dimension. Um, and they 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 work pretty well, really, mm. considering. And it you know the the stuff that I've, I've in the past I've made. Where I built individual teeth, and a, a, each tooth is like a box section. Um, and it's a bit. There's a book called uh, it's called a paper clock or something like that. Mm. And you can make like a working clock. It's this massive book. Wow. Uh, and it's got yeah, it's got all the all the gears and everything like that. It's got the escapement mechanism and everything. It's all made of cardboard. But it goes back to that thing I was saying earlier about it being well. This is a wooden clock converted right. to paper
1: yeah
0: so you've got gears with depth they are you know it's like a, there's a there's a two i think it's a 216 tooth gear or something like that this is as far as i got making the book right. making the models no so look because someone gave me the book and it's like oh, no, i forgot with this and i did the two i cut out the 216 oh, tooth I know. gear and wow. thought oh, <laughs> yeah i'll do that i'll do that another day <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: it's, it's still
0: in a box somewhere and you know? Uh, yeah. But, that, but so, rather than rather than making like, see, so, so in their one, they've basically got two gears, front and back, two gear pieces, front and back, and then the teeth are made from a zigzaggy piece mm. that fits between the two pieces. See what I mean?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, and I tried, I did that a few times in the past, but I have this. Uh, This thing about trying to do, trying to use the material as the material is rather than trying to recreate a different material out of it. Mm. So I tried doing just a single flat gear, just a single sheet, uh, and I laminate a couple of pieces together and then I cut the gear teeth out. So I've just got a flat gear that's Mm. made out of fairly thick card because it's laminated. Um, And then I just mesh that with another gear at 90 degrees to it.
1: Ah, oh, cool. So you and don't need any I've... depth to
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. And that's what that's what I've ended up with is my sort of this is my solution to that particular problem. And mm. it's the same with boxes. I, I sort of looking back at uh, looking back at older models that I've done, and I've changed the way that I make boxes. That I've sort of settled down, settled on a design of box, um, which I, I'm really pleased with, and I think it's like a, this is how. a, this Is how you make a box out of a card that's going to have a mechanism inside it. It works pretty well, I think. It's and it, I just basically have um, I have a, the sides and the top, and then just flaps connected to the side. It's, it's very mm. hard to describe. Um, but it, it again, but but what I'm trying to do is not have uh, not like a serial box type box, but actually, yeah. it's like two section two C c-shaped c shape sections mm-hmm. uh, yeah um, i can build. picture that i do describe go <laughs> yeah so, uh, and then a two sheets, c shape, c shape sections and a top and a bottom yep and, and so it's the end of four pieces and that makes your box and it's surprisingly rigid and surprisingly satisfying and i sort of settle down on that and i keep coming back and looking at Things like that. Like the, I have the same, I use the same sort of, sort of handle as a winder for winding camshafts and mm. gears and things like that. And I keep coming back and looking at it, and thinking, hmm, I wonder if I could do that a different way. And it, it's, I think it's sort of settled to the point now where I just copy and paste from the previous model. It's like, well, I'll use that handle. Yeah. And one, and one day I'll, have an, I'll come back and have another look at it and see if I can make it more. Um, see if I can improve on it. But uh, I, I can't think of anything at the moment. I, can't, I think I've sort of hit the optimum handle design for, hmm. for a nice. for a cardboard handle.
1: You know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Are there any other sort of forces that you've used in designs? I'm thinking maybe like heat or I guess you mentioned that um, you want to avoid the paper from getting wet because that makes it...
0: Um, yeah, I've tried doing okay. like, like sand in a hopper salt in a hopper oh cool so um um design that I did ages ago I need to dig it out actually because I, I never published it but it was basically a hopper at the top um with a, a funnel and feeding out to a, a small hole at the bottom and then like a, a turbine type thing underneath it
1: nice
0: yeah I need to go back to that actually that's cool um Yeah, so you just fill it up with salt or sand or whatever, and it runs through and turns the wheel. And it worked really nicely, but it didn't get it, I didn't connect it to anything. So I need to go back and do that and make it do something.
1: Yeah, nice. Have you ever made a Rube Goldberg machine out of paper? I've not. No, it sounds like the the ultimate kind of end point (laughs) to your experiments.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. I've seen some, some people on YouTube who do the most amazing things, aren't
1: they? Yeah, for sure. Maybe that'll be, if we ever go into a second lockdown or something, that can be your yeah project. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything that's really surprised you about paper?
0: Um, no, only, only that... I still find it interesting, and it's been like twenty-five years, thirty years, something like that. So, yeah. and I still find new and improved ways of doing things that I'd already thought I'd cracked as a problem. Yeah, I find better ways of doing stuff. So it's the, just sort of the general versatility of it, and just the fact that you can still find, after all this time, still find new and surprising ways of using it mm. that surprise me. So hopefully, surprise other people
1: yeah that's cool so if people have enjoyed hearing about your designs and want to have a look at what they look like um, where can we see them online
0: if you go to robives.com r-o-b-i-v-e-s dot com there are links to all of them so this. my Instagram feed my YouTube, my Twitter feed I've got a YouTube which I haven't used for a while but there's still some stuff on it nice uh, yeah so there's Yeah, RobIves.com. It's got the links to everything.
1: Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really great to chat to you and a really surprising take on paper.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a really fun material and I strongly recommend it to people. It's something that you can do anywhere, you know, a pair of scissors and you can make make things. It's quite surprising and fun. (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Really nice to talk to
1: you. So that was the marvellous Rob Ives. Thanks so much to him for coming on the show. And don't forget to check out his website and social media. That's all for this week. As always, I'd be really grateful if you could rate and review the podcast everywhere where you can rate and review it. I would like to say a huge thank you to everyone who supported the podcast financially by giving a one-time donation. Thanks to the wonderfully generous Coralie Andres, and Mark Hipwell. You guys are the best um, if you're enjoying the podcast and you have the means to give a one-time donation to help keep it running you can donate at supporter.acast.com forward slash handmade don't forget to say hi online we're on twitter at real talk, that's r-i-a-l talk and on instagram at handmade pod thanks as always to dave shepherd for our awesome cover art and to alex lathbridge for the music mix I'm going to be taking a little break for the next couple of weeks, but I will be back before you know it with some more smashing interviews with top material heads. Next time is the long promised stonemason Andrew Ziminski. So until then, take care, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Handmade.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.